This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Monday at 7.10. Time to bring in Don Robertson of ComChoice Realty and Dundas Real McCoys. And we do this every week. And who knows what else you're involved in. I don't want everybody else to know what I'm involved in. What a great day. Beautiful day. And it's supposed to be 29 on Wednesday. 29 and sunny. Everybody be squawking and... Gee, it's too hot. It's too sticky. We've been waiting for it for six months. If I hear one person complain about the heat on Wednesday. You will. I haven't decided what I'll do to them yet. I will shame them. You better do it soon because you're going to expire at 60. (laughs) I'm thinking that was a poor choice of words. I think we should should, uh, rethink that one. I'll I'll go up to 80. I'll push it to at least 80, maybe 90. But the 100 thing, I'm, you know, again, we'll get to that. From a guy that's going to be 61 in June, yeah, 60 isn't enough. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, So many things I want to talk about today from the world of sports, broad things, not necessarily specific things, but let's let's start with this. Um, Why is it that every single year, now for about two years there after the NHL lockout in 2004, was it? 2003, whatever it was. For two or three years maybe, we saw an exception to this. But why is it that when we get to the playoffs, referees seemingly across the league, not by any kind of mandate, just by their own choice, put away the whistles and call so much fewer and allow so much more leeway on calls? Why does that happen? And why does the NHL not say, no, those are not the rules we're asking you to call? It's an interesting question. Uh, there are a couple versions of it. First of all, the old term is we're going to let them decide it on the ice. Well, if you check back, all the regular season games are pretty much played on the ice as well, as far as I can see. The other thing I think that allows them to give more latitude to the officials in the playoffs are they pare down the officials. So That's right. Not every official in the NHL gets playoff assignments. Correct. So by the time you get to this point and every step you go in, every round you go in, you hive off some more officials. So I think they they may look at it and say, all right, this is the best of the best players, officials, and everything else. They're better. They have better judgment. So we'll give them more leniency. And it's got to be, it's got to come from the top, whatever, wherever the top well, is. It, it's got to come from the top <clears throat> as far as, if you're being promoted, you must feel you're doing the right thing. And if you're doing, if you're calling fewer things and having more latitude, you must feel that's what they want. I don't believe for any for a second the NHL has sent a note to any of these refs saying, hey, don't call as much. I don't believe that. All right. So in, in my era, when Bob Myers and Andy Van Heldeman and Bruce Hood were around, you know, they the teams knew what to expect from each and every one of them. They weren't robotic. Well, because know. also you only had one guy on the ice. That's right. You had yeah. one mind running the entire game. So consistency. And the thing I've said from the bench on more than one occasion, we're not judging you on what you call because everything you call basically is a penalty. So good officials are judged on what they let go. And what you let go in the first period should be the same thing you're letting go, although once overtime comes, it's basically if you don't corral a guy and throw him to the ice on a scoring chance, you're not going to get a penalty. But, I, but but Don, doesn't the same thing extend then? When you say in the third period or the overtime, you're calling less because you're letting the play, shouldn't the same argument be made that, the re- as you said, the regular season to the playoffs? It's all hockey. It's NHL. The Pittsburgh Penguins, the Anaheim Ducks, the Nashville Predators, and the Ottawa Senators got to this point, at least made the playoffs in the first place under 
regular season rules. Well, rest assured, at that level, the general managers and the coaches are made aware of how they uh, should expect the series to be called. So we're not going to, you're not likely going to see a lot of clutching and grabbing called in the neutral zone. We're going to call more just scoring chances and injuries. I mean, we're not going to let guys get hurt out there. The interesting thing in the National Hockey League that the good calls are made is when it, when the real good defensemen just take their hand off their stick and just grab the other guy's stick enough that he can't get a full shot. That's how good the officials are at that level. And those are the things you want to see called. But you know that they're brief before the series starts as the here are the expectations. What I don't understand from a National Hockey League standpoint is this is where they're showcasing their product. And if you call less and there's more interference and there's more tugging and grabbing, which they took out of the game to speed it up, you now have more eyeballs than you've ever had all year to do it. Why would you change the game if you think it's good enough during the regular season? Well, here's the other part that I and I agree with you. I agree with that. I agree with that. The nobody is nobody is tuning in to watch guys be slowed down. They're tuning in to watch excitement. But here's the other part about it. And I've heard this, and you said it, and you've used the phrase, and I know you, you're not necessarily backing this. I, I, it's a phrase that we hear all the time. Well, you don't want to, you, the refs want to let the guys play. The refs don't want to decide the game. By the refs not making a call that they have called all year long, are they not equally deciding the game, but instead of against the team that made the infraction, for the team that made the infraction? There's a, there's a great line uh, in Rush. Rush writes this great song, and um, I'm trying to think of the exact wording now because, of course, as soon as I bring it up, I'm, uh, I've... Uh, well, you're almost I, 60. Uh, choosing not to decide is... What's the line now? Uh, it's from free will. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice, right? If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. If you say, I'm not going to affect the outcome of this game, and by your thinking is, well, I'm not going to give a penalty to a guy then, which will affect the outcome of the game. But by letting that hook go, you of could be affecting the outcome of the game. You're not not you, affecting it. You, You're just getting yourself off the hook. You bring up an interesting point. I mean, from from a um, strict fan standpoint, I mean, you, you got to remember, I referee a lot of hockey I know games. So I understand what they're doing. The other thing I understand is the expectation that the teams have. And as long as they don't feel cheated and you don't see a whole lot of complaining the way the game is being officiated right now. So based on that, you have to assume that the coaches have relayed it to the players and here are the expectations. I think the real challenge is, and it's I don't think the NHL care, is they're not explaining that to the fans that we're going to change the way it's officiated, but they're telling the coaches, managers, it's going down to the players, and they understand what the standard is, and they're holding that standard. Whether you and I agree with that standard, the players and coaches and general managers, who may very well Behind have the had, scenes. Yes, who may very well have had input Maybe. to the referee-in-chief and say, you know, you're going to loosen this up a little bit so the guys can determine. We don't want all the little crap called that you're calling. But then all. don't call it the regular season. Like, I'm, I'm looking at this saying there are teams, and one of them is a perfect example, I think, is the Edmonton Oilers, who you have built a team. You have to build a team to get to the playoffs. That's your regular season team. And then we're saying, but once you get there, we want you to have a completely different style of team or a significantly different style of team. And, and I look at Edmonton. I think if you had the referees who were calling things as they had in the regular season, 
Edmonton might still be playing today. I'm not sure it's that fundamentally different. And the other thing that the Edmonton Oilers have to learn, like everybody does, is how to win in the playoffs. Well, that's but that's so, right. So your teams that are left are your best teams. They're the most skilled teams. They're playing their best, right? I mean, there, there's no better way to figure it out than a four-game series. If you win it, you're better than the other team nine times out of ten. I'm not a polling company, but that's the case. So the better players are better equipped to to still play well, even with a few more restrictions that you would have normally seen with the 28th place team playing the 27th place team. If you let them play the same way, the game will get bogged right down. So you have more latitude with more skill and better players. The Edmonton Oilers have to learn how to play in the playoffs through a lot of things, psychological, have to play hurt, you can't play injured, but you can play hurt, and you have to learn that. You've heard me talk about uh, when when the real McCoys were going to umpteen Allen Cups on the road. The type of team we needed to win our league really had nothing to do with the type of team we needed to win it to win an Allen Cup, and that's an interesting balancing act. But it's ap- an absolute fact. You know, in the Allen Cup, we, you may have to play five games in five days. It's harder to go with an older, more experienced team. You need the young thoroughbreds. The young thoroughbreds won't win you a league championship to give you an opportunity exactly. to go. So the, the National Hockey League, in a similar fashion, it takes one type of team to get there. It takes another type of team to adjust to win. Edmonton are skilled enough. They'll learn that. Like Sidney Crosby's got guys draped all over him all the time. He's big, strong, skilled horse. He still excels because he's that good. I was watching last night in the game, James Neal for Nashville was skating through the neutral zone or just over the blue line with the puck on a chance. And they they showed it, and it was a nice long time that the other that the guy from Anaheim, I don't know who it was, had the stick hooked around his waist and was doing the old skiing behind him that we used to call it. And 100 games out of 100 in the regular season. That's a penalty. 100 games out of 100. Every single time you do that, the stick was parallel to the ice, it was around his pant, and it was tugging him back. And for some reason, even as he was breaking in, I think it was a two-on-one that was that was coming up, he gets to haul down and there's no call. And I'm looking, at, and again, I go back to my point. For a referee to say, I don't want to decide the game, he may have decided the game by not making the call that he knew was the call to make because that could have led to a goal. Okay, two things. First of all, if the referee is, isn't, if they're not calling the game the way they've been instructed to call it, you won't see that guy again. And there's two of them out there. So clearly, the powers to be have said, you can let that go. I'm not saying I think it makes a better brand of hockey. I mean, I'm still a guy that thinks three or four fights a game is not a bad idea, but that's all gone now. And the hooking and, and, and uh, the skiing and the interference for the most part, has brought the National Hockey League into uh, the next century. And they sell it during the regular season. I'm not saying the way they're calling it in the playoffs is a better way to go. I'm explaining how it happens. No, I, I know. No, and I don't. I think if you let these guys guys go, you're right. You probably would see the Edmonton Oilers in there, maybe against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Who knows? But I'll tell you, it's far more exciting. Why they've let it morph into this, back to this, I don't know. But don't that's blame question. No, don't that's, blame the referees. The referees are doing what they're told, or they wouldn't still be refereeing. That we're in the in semifinals. See, I don't. Well, I, I would be shocked again if the NHL sent a note or an email or something to say, "Hey, let stuff go." But 
by continuing to reward the, re- the referees who are letting the stuff go, those guys can have no conclusion other than I'm doing what the NHL wants. I, I would be shocked if it was a note as well because they have conference calls to discuss those <laughs> things in the modern era I would be and they don't if, want it in writing. I would be shocked if there was a conference call even. It's just if you keep getting promoted, nope. so I'm doing something I, right. I, I, no, I'm doing I, something I, right. I don't disagree. I, or I, I disagree. I think... The uh, referee supervisors, they have meetings. You know, I mean, they're talking to the guys and boys. Here's how we want to see this semifinal called. And I'll guarantee you it will be different from series to series. Like, like I look at I look at the, the Nashville-Anaheim series right now, and having watched the, the, the game last night, if it was the regular season, Ryan Kessler, who's doing, a, 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 he's doing his job as well as you can do your job to get under the skin and drive the other star player crazy, he probably would have had eight to nine penalties yesterday because that's just, he's playing that style that they are allowing him to play. You could never play that style in the regular season. And I'm, my only question, and we got to go to break, my only question is, as you have raised it, is that actually better for hockey? I love playoff hockey. I love that guys are willing to sacrifice their body. I love that it's much harder hitting. I love that, you, that the intensity is so far up. I don't love that there is more seemingly more hooking and more interference and that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff doesn't help the game. Everything else, bring it on. Yep, they, they should call it the way they do the regular season. It would be equally as exciting. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Don Robertson in studio chatting a little sports right off the bat this Monday evening. And, Don, let's stay with the NHL for a second because we got two series left, Nashville versus Anaheim. Ottawa versus Pittsburgh, for the sake of the aesthetic of hockey, for the sake of offensive hockey, exciting hockey, should every hockey fan be cheering for Nashville and Pittsburgh to win these series? Because Ottawa, their plan, and I mean, Guy Boucher, coach for the Hamilton Bulldogs, he's a great guy, he's a very intelligent guy. His game plan is absolutely clear. It's bottle everything up and be the new Jacques Lemaire with the old with the new version of the New Jersey Devils and Anaheim in a lot of ways very similar. It's not about creation, it's about destruction, both of them. Let's stop the other team and try and capitalize once or maybe twice. Should we be all anyone who loves exciting hockey, should we be cheering for the Penguins and the Predators? Yeah, because that's the best of the your options if you want some offense, right? I mean, it's the other one though if Anaheim and Ottawa get in the finals, I mean, you're going to have some overtime periods that are seven, eight, per- seven or eight periods going to be zip, zip. Nobody's going to score a goal. I think if you want true offense, um, you want Edmonton and Pittsburgh in there, but that's obviously not going to happen. That isn't an option you gave me. But Bouchard, you know, look at he's back in the National Hockey League. I think he's learned a lot from his trip to Tampa. And, and then from time in Europe. Yeah, and he's got a veteran guy, Mark Crawford, uh, in there helping him. And those guys are saying, you know what, we don't care how fancy this is. We just want a chance to get a ring. And with their skill set, that's their best option. Is it a lot of fun to watch? No. Is Ottawa hard to cheer for? Pretty much. I mean, if if Firestone hadn't have made up so many stories about what they were going to do in Ottawa, Ron Joyce would own, would own an NHL team in Hamilton, and we would have won four Stanley Cups by now. But that, that option seems to have disappeared for the time being. But you're right, Ottawa is not going to be a lot of fun to watch. And Randy Carlisle knows how to win in the playoffs, and he knows how to shut teams down. So both those guys, I mean, you're absolutely right, but they're doing the best they can with what they got, and it's got them to the quarter or semifinals. No doubt that last part is absolutely correct. 
I don't think Ottawa or well, can't win any other way. Ottawa can't win by trying to go offense. So it's but I look back and I, and we were chatting about this the other day. Ottawa is the new New Jersey Devils with Jacques Lemaire. They really are. Let's just let's slow it down. Let's muck up the middle. Let's grind it to a halt. Let's slow the game to a crawl. And if we can happen to score a goal on a lucky break, or if we can happen to get an off, you know, a, a chance that springs loose, great. But if not, let's look how many overtime games they've been to already. Let's just grind this thing out for as long as we can. One thing that's driving me nuts in the NHL playoffs is the comparison with Carlson to Bobby Orr. Now, I will admit Carlson is a better hockey player than Bobby Orr. Today. Bobby Orr is 70 years old. Yes. So yeah. it, it's it's memory fades quickly. Uh, see, you're, it's a great thing you mentioned that because I'm the same way. Wow. And I would argue that you could probably go down the list, and I bet you that, and I'm being not very generous here. I'm being pretty stingy. I bet you you could name five defensemen in not that old time frame and not that far back that would be drafted. If you had an overall, if everyone was put back to the same age group that you would take, you would say we're a better defenseman than Eric Carlson. Paul, Paul Coffey, Ray Bork, Nick Lidstrom, Chris Pronger even. I would argue people would, would say Chris Pronger was more effective or was as effective or was equally effective in a different way. Uh, somehow the the Eric Carlson is the second greatest defenseman of all time, maybe even better than Bobby Orr narrative that has sprung up is, uh, I, I don't quite I'm know. I'm not sure he's it. as good as Borea Salming ever was. Well, Chris Chelios wasn't bad either. Carlson is a pretty good hockey player. Carlson's a very good hockey player. But, I just, but the best defenseman ever, or well, the second best defenseman ever? You, yeah, when you start, if if uh, Orr and Gretzky, obviously it's different generations, so it's hard to say, but if Orr and Gretzky could have played in the wide open regular season NHL we know now, it would have been fabulously entertaining because they both played in an era where you could hook and grab. Now, that said, when Bobby Orr played, Phil Esposito used to take shifts for two and a half minutes. Yeah, and the goalies were would stand up and you could you know come across the blue line and fire a low one in the corner and they wouldn't do anything about it. Well, they'd let it in. Well, that's what I mean. They looked like you <laughs> didn't yeah, that. This is true, but I just... I, you know, you, it's a great point you raise because I've heard so many people now making this and, and writers and commentators and everyone else making this comment that Eric Carlson has somehow in two playoff series emerged as the second greatest defenseman of all time and maybe pushing Bobby Orr for that mantle. And it's like, what exactly? I didn't and think com- that, I didn't think pot was legal yet in Canada, but and someone's com- been smoking it. And, I, and, you, and the interesting thing is, and of course, you know, they've got time to kill. Uh, they got to talk about something, but it's not like they've been talking about this for 10 years and he's now just reached the pinnacle. No, it's like he played two series. You know what it was? It, it was just that, happened last week and everybody's going, wow. It was that saucer pass that he made. Yes. And it, that was a terrific play. That was a fantastic pass. And I bet you that if you were to give Eric Carlson that same play to make a hundred times, he makes it five times because it was done absolutely perfectly. It required... A lot of things to go right, along with great execution, and he did. It was a great pass, but that one play does not turn you into Bobby Orr. Nor does you know the fact that they're playing with a he's playing with a broken heel or broken ankle or has a fractured bone in his foot. You know, Bobby Orr didn't have any ligaments in his or any cartilage in his knee. Played on one leg. The interesting thing about that pass is the analysts that night start analyzing how it's a saucer pass 
and the rotation of the puck when it hit the ice. I'm going like, are you kidding me? I mean, you try and make that play, but really you want to you want to start looking at the rotation of the puck in the air. We have, it was a great pass. It was a great pass, but we have a problem. Do it again. Yeah, we have a problem in our society, in our era, in our generation, whatever it is. We can't remember what we had for breakfast. So f- when you talk about old guys who went before, you, one of two things happens. We either glorify the old players to such a magnitude that they become far better than they ever were, or we diminish them because they couldn't possibly be as good as the guy who plays today. And uh, we've seen both. We've seen both. There are guys whose legacies and memories are vastly better players than they ever were. But when you're now comparing a guy who has won two playoff series this year, when was the last time, Luke, do you know, can you look it up? When was the last time Ottawa actually won a playoff series? I can't even remember. But, I mean, it, we're having to check now. When was the last time Eric Carlson led his team to a playoff win? That doesn't put you in the same category as the greats of the game. It just doesn't. No. He's a good player. He's a really good player. 2013, they won one series. Yeah, they won one series, and as Luke points out, hockey's a team sport, but there were times when certain players have carried their teams to playoffs, playoff series wins and championships, and I... Mostly had the big pads on. There's one other thing that's really interesting about what's happening with Ottawa right now, why you're seeing so much of an emphasis on Eric Carlson, and that is when Guy Boucher was here in Hamilton, now we're going to get into a little bit of inside baseball here, well, even though it's hockey... When Guy Boucher was here in Hamilton, some people will remember that he worked on this thing that he had created, this 1-3-1. And it was a system that he had as opposed to three forwards and two defensemen. You would work in a 1-3-1. You'll see it still. He uses it now. And it helps when you block up the, the neutral zone. You've got three guys up there. It helps on the power play. You've got one guy towards the back. You've got three across and one in front of the net. You will see this 1-3-1. Well, the one at the back end is Eric Carlson, more often than not. So he's always got the puck because he's the one. And so it puts an awful lot of attention and spotlight on him. He gets to do an awful lot with the puck. And that doesn't diminish that he's having a very, very good playoffs. But it's a really interesting thing that Guy Boucher's system is allowing, in some ways, Eric Carlson to have this kind of playoffs. I just, I, again, I, I love your point because I think it's, it, it makes, every time I hear someone make the comparison, it makes me a little bit crazy. So I have a question. We talked about it last week. You talked about uh, P.K. Subban. And, uh, he, was the, he was the guy that Guy Boucher built the 1-3-1 in Hamilton around. Pretty skilled guy. Still doing it now. Well, uh, look, look, look at Guy Boucher. Every place that he's gone... And again, not taking anything away from Guy Boucher. Look at the three places that he has played in North America. Who he's had in Hamilton, he had PK Subban for his one-three-one. In Tampa, he had Hedman, Hedman yep. for his one-three-one, and now he's got Carlson for his one-three-one. Your system is going to work okay when you've got those three guys running. Continue, sorry. Dion Phaneuf is a pretty good hockey player when he's not the centerpiece. Yep. When he just has to be a guy, Phil Kessel. When he doesn't have to be the guy. Now, I think that you could, if Phil Kessel had gone to any other team but Pittsburgh, he might have had 
the same issues that he had in Toronto. No, he wouldn't have because if he'd have went to Tampa or he'd have went to Nashville, he wouldn't have had 35 microphones in his face every day saying, where did you go for breakfast? No, fair enough. That part, not, but he still would have been the centerpiece on the ice. He would have been, the, I, I'm talking on the ice. He no, would have been the centerpiece on the ice, whereas in Pittsburgh with, with Sidney Crosby. you So Phil Kessel probably, he could have gone to Pittsburgh. He could have gone to Edmonton. He could have gone to where else? I mean, there's there's only a handful of places where he goes and he's not the centerpiece player. So it's perfect for him. Yep. And he's and he's done well and with it. And he excels at he's it. He's done well with it, being just the guy who's a, a complimentary player. And he you know, he should have won that game for Pittsburgh last game. He in, with a couple minutes left in the third period, he rang that one, that wrist shot off the crossbar. Yep. That that I don't know that that crossbar has ever been hit that hard before. Didn't go in though. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. Now, Don, I don't know. Um, I know that you are a huge NBA fan. Uh, follow the NBA intensely, closely. They still got twelve teams. Let me put on your mic. They still got twelve teams. Yes, they got twelve teams. Um, but interesting, interesting situation coming up uh, with the NBA draft in uh, in a little while, a few weeks. There's a guy named, and most many people will have heard of this guy, there's a guy named Lonzo Ball, who's a very talented player coming out of UCLA. Uh, point guard probably would be the number one, the overall number one draft pick almost every year based on his talent. But he has a father who could best be described as interesting, probably more, inter- more properly described as a little goofy. Um, Dad is one of those guys who can't keep his mouth shut, who basically just stirs it up. And a lot of people now are looking at Lonzo Ball saying, you know, if you take him, you also get crazy dad. Would you take a guy like that? Would you, if you're a, a team with a very high draft pick, and we're not talking about Michael Jordan, by the way. We're not talking about a guy who is so far ahead of everyone else in the draft that he is... The franchise, but he's a really good player. Would you take a guy who is going to bring along that kind of baggage, or would you pass him down to the next team and say, good luck? I'd take him. Would you? Yep, absolutely. Why? Because you always take the best player available in the draft, and you hope he grows up, and you hope he grows away from his father, and as he matures, he goes, i got to cut bait with this anchor. This guy's killing me. I, Dad, I love you. But And there's been all kinds of sports where that's the case, and the player goes on, and as he matures and so on, he breaks away from his dad, and um, you can't take, you can't pass on getting a good player. And if you make a mistake, if you make the mistake and take them and you can't fix them, somebody else will think they can. So you can dump them. So you won't lose that much. You'll, you'll trade them for another prospect or another problem, and you'll try and sort that problem out. When you get a great player or a player that could be great, and he's an elite player, you just, it, I would never pass him up. I'd take him and fix him. And if I couldn't fix him, I'd either trade him or I'd bury him. Well, it, yeah, it's, the issue here is that we've seen a lot of, well, not a lot. We've seen a number of meddling parents. I mean, go back to when Eric Bonnie Lindros. Bonnie Lindros. Yeah, when Eric Lindros was. Allegedly. Uh, Who yeah, knows? Yeah, no, the stories always were that this was this was an issue. So you, this was, Eric Lindros is probably the hockey situation that was talked about the most 
with well, mom and dad. Well, it's Canada, and and he was also the premier. He also played on Team Canada when he was eighteen years old. Yeah. He was, but all the stories was were the all the stories one. were that mom and dad were a problem, and whether that was true, we'll have to leave that for the historians and those who know better to discuss whether or not mom and dad were behind his refusal to go to Quebec and his refusal to go to, where was it, Sudbury or Sault Ste. Marie? He wouldn't even go to the Sioux and Gretzky. um, You know, all those things. That, again, that's, uh, we'll let the historians determine that one. But this guy's dad is, if those stories were true, this guy's dad is Bonnie and Carl times about 10 to the integer of the exponent of four. I mean, it is... This guy, he, he goes on talk shows and says the most outrageously insane things. He's the guy who says that I would have beaten Michael Jordan one-on-one and and turned down, you know, and, and basically the amazing thing is he's, dad has started this shoe company, uh, Big Baller Shoes, that is going to take on Nike and beat Nike. It's going to try, it's gonna, just going to crush Nike. Well, not sure about that, but what it has done is make all the big shoe companies that basically give multi-million dollar contracts to all the guys coming into the draft say, no, sorry, we're not, we're not offering you a contract. We can't deal with you. Well, the, the dad wouldn't want a contract. Well, no, but, but so it's, but the point is dad has not just been a pain. He's already now it's in, in real money is costing his kid millions of dollars. Well, he's contaminating the market for the kid. But like I said, if he's good enough, you know what? The old man will go away. The shoe company will either succeed and make them gobs of money. Um, and if that happens, somebody will sign them to a shoe deal too. I mean, the NFL and the NBA have as many felons in their league as almost any other profession in the world. Like but guys get second chances. But you know getting, what? I mean, getting charged with battery, assault, all those different things that – Athletes get charged with. So, what do you want? You want you can play. Yeah. Do you want a crappy dad, or do you want a uh, do you want a guy that that beats women up and some idiot like that? And they're all acceptable into the fraternity if you're good enough. It's stupid, but it happens. It'd be really interesting. It will be interesting because someone's going to draft him, and he will be drafted high, and someone will take the position that you're taking that says we'll deal with that. We'll make it work, and the and. The the initial look is that he may end up with the Los Angeles Lakers, which is hometown because he's at UCLA. And Magic Johnson, who now is the guy who's running the Lakers, says, yeah, he, it's not a concern to us. And I'm thinking, okay, there's the one guy maybe. Although Dad did say he could beat Michael Jordan in a game of one-on-one, so maybe Magic Johnson is no big deal. But I'm thinking there's the one guy who can walk up to him and say, you know what? That's enough. Yeah. Quiet now. You've You've had your... Six months of attention. Now, please shut up and let your son have a chance at this. And maybe that would work. But dad seems completely incapable of, if prompted, if someone calls him up, he seems incapable of saying, no, I'm not going to take that interview. He must take the interview. He must say something outrageous and he must make himself the headline. And I think it's going to, I think, I honestly believe that unless someone can stop it, and this is the risk to the team, he will, if you're a kid, and I, I don't care if you're an adult kid, if you're a 21-year-old kid, which Lonzo Ball is. If your dad is constantly, if every time you go to the gym or go to the court or go to the arena, all the questions you're answering is not about your play in the game. It's about the crazy thing your dad just said. That is going to wear on you and prevent you from being the best player you can be. I, I mean, I absolutely believe that. It'd be, be a hard thing to ignore. 
I mean, on an ongoing basis. And But you know what? I'm sure by now he's getting pretty good at it. He's got lots of training. Yeah, but he hasn't been in the NBA yet. But you know what it is? It's those talk talk show hosts, those sports talk show hosts that trick guys into saying obscene things and crazy things. I mean, you you should get the old man on, see what he's like. Oh, Probably I've wouldn't s- take much to bait him. No. It, well, it's, it's Somebody cl- said your son isn't that good and see what happens. It would be a very interesting question. I suspect the phone would just hang up. Although maybe not. Maybe he would just want. But not if he wants his 15 minutes, which no. he's stretching into two hours of fame. I would, um, I, I, see, I'm different from you. I, I would love to have the most talented player, but I would want a guy who comes with less complication. I really would. I, for the dressing room, to build a team around, for everything else. If, if, it's, if it was Michael Jordan, if it was Magic Johnson, if it was somebody who was the greatest player by a mile coming out of the draft, that's one thing. If he's one of two or three good players and the next guy down is marginally not as good as him, I'll take the next guy and not have the baggage. I'll let someone else deal with all that stuff. We've got enough stuff to go with in this league. Boy, I've had an awful, I've, I've, I've had my share of winners, and I'll tell you, every winning championship team I've built, there's always guys with baggage, and boy, do you ever need them in the end. They get a lot of character. And they bring something to the table that a lot of guys haven't. I'll tell you, they're, they're, there's nothing wrong with having a few of them around. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.